This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, today we have a very interesting cl- uh, class. So the topic is, uh, is life a lottery. And what is Purim? Purim is an amazing title for a holiday. It's a weird title for a holiday because Purim means a lottery. Why would the rabbis call a holiday, a Jewish holiday, a lottery? I mean, it's very strange. I mean, if you win the lottery, okay. If you don't win the lottery, why do you call it a lottery? So... <laughs> Is life a lottery or not? A lot of people think life is just a lottery. Everything's chance. Everything is, uh, you throw the dice, you want to make a decision, you toss a coin, everything is a lottery. Life seems to be a lottery. That's what it seems to be. And that was the story of Amalek. Amalek, we have to understand the story goes back to Amalek, but truth is Jewish, Jewish history goes way before. So I want to go through first a little timeline of Jewish history, a very quick timeline of Jewish history. To put everything in perspective, Abraham Avinu, Abraham starts 1813 BCE, 1813 BCE, the Jews go into Israel, 1273 BCE, 1273 BCE, that's 1200 odd years before the common era or the Christian era, 1200 odd years before the Christianity started. Uh, 1,200 years before that, we are in Israel already. We have to know that. We have to know 1,200 years before, the world should know this, 1,273 years before Christianity started, the Jews were in Israel. Amazing. The first temple was built 833 BCE. The Kotel, the foundations of the Kotel go back to 833 BCE. That's 2,800 odd years, maybe. Okay, so about three, uh, 3,000, was it? Yeah, 2,000 years. No, 2,800 years. 2,800 years. 2,900 years. 2,900 years ago, Solomon built the first temple. Just go and see those massive stones. If you, if you query, anyone queries that, go to the temple tunnels. Go to the tunnels by the Kotel, and you'll see these massive foundation stones as big as a room. The stones are as big as a room. It's, it's an amazing sight to see these massive foundation stones of the temple, how they built the temple. So the first temple was built 833 BCE. The 10 tribes, well, they were exiled over a period of time, but the last part of the 10 tribes were exiled by the Assyrians in 556 BCE. 556 BC, the 10 tribes were exiled. Two tribes remained. Judah, Benjamin, and parts of Levi, parts of Levi, and then the other the remainders of the other tribes who could escape, they came back and they joined Judah. So we are from the tribe of Judah, all of us in the, from this, the, the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, Levi, a little bit of Shimon, and whoever else could come back from the 10 tribes, the lost tribes, we call them the lost tribes, we don't know where they are exactly today. The destruction of the first temple, which, which really concerns us, we're going to talk about Purim, is straight after the destruction of the first temple, minus 423, 423 BCE, 423 BCE, destruction of the first temple, 370 BCE, the Babylonians, well, actually it was the Persians, started allowing the Jews to rebuild the second temple. They started allowing the Jews to rebuild the second temple, which is what Ahasuerus stopped. Ahasuerus stopped them rebuilding the second temple before he married Esther. And we're going to see that Esther's son, 
Darius II is the one who allowed the rebuilding of the second temple, which we're going to talk about. So Esther was around 362 BCE. We are celebrating this festival, which is around 362 BCE. Wow, that's about 2,400 years ago. 2,400 years ago, we are celebrating this festival. Baruch Hashem, we're still around. It's a miracle. We are here. Every generation trying to kill us. Every generation trying to destroy us. Bechol Dov Adov, we're going to talk about Besach. And every generation, they come, Lekaloteno, they want to destroy us. And we're still here. It's a miracle. We're still here. To say we're still here by chance is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. To say we are here by chance is ridiculous. The Jewish people did not survive by chance. One of the biggest proofs of God in history is that we're here. We are the most put-down nation in the world, and we're still here. We are the most put-down. They, they could try to put us down. Look at the United Nations. That's all they have to do. There's wars going on in the world, and all they care about is Israel, 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 passing their resolutions against Israel. And it's not going to help, because we have, we have the Creator on our side. If you're on the side of the Creator, I mean, I choose the side of the Creator anytime. The most powerful being in the, over the universe, the creator of the universe, Baruch Hashem, we have an outside. So is the world a lottery? Is Purim a lottery? That's what it means. Purim is a lottery. It's named after the lottery that Haman, the villain of our history, one of our biggest villains of history, he's the one who made the lottery, and we named the festival after him, after his lottery, to mock lotteries. We're mocking lotteries. The whole idea of Purim is nafohu. It's all upside down. Everything's upside down. What seems to be the world, it seems to be a lottery, it's upside down. And we, that's our job. Our job as Jews, we have two jobs as Jews. One is to bring God into this world, to reveal God. That's what Megillah means. Megillah is legalot, for the word legalot, to reveal. To reveal Esther, to reveal Megillah Esther, to reveal the hidden. Esther comes from the word hidden. Hester, Panim, God's face is hidden in history. It seems to be a big lottery. And our job, one of our jobs is to reveal God in this world. How do you reveal God in the world? So number one is just by surviving as a Jew. You survive as a Jew, and people say, hey, Jews are still around. What, what happened? We try to kill them. We try to get rid of them. We can't get rid of them. Israel stole our map. Came, in fact, not just is Israel on the map. Israel came back on the map, which is, we don't really understand. We have to fathom the miracle involved. The miracle that this nation revived itself after Holocaust, it really is the valley of the dry bones, the prophecy of Ezekiel. The dry bones of Israel are reliving. It's amazing. Israel is back on the map after 2,000 years. It's hard to imagine. It's a tremendous miracle. We have to take advantage of this miracle and do what we can to support this miracle. That's what we have to do. Our mission is to survive as Jews and to reveal God in this world just by survival. Okay, so let's talk about the lottery of life. Who was the biggest proponent of lotteries of life? And the answer is Amalek. Our nemesis. Our nemesis in history is Amalek. Now today we don't have an Amalek. There's no tribe that identifies Amalek today. The Amalekites are our own relatives. Oh, yo, 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 yo. You say that again? <laughs> the Amalekites are our own relatives through Esau. Esav's son, Eliphaz, takes this woman, Timna, and her son is Amalek. 
Amalek is Yaakov's nephew, Yaakov's, well, grandnephew. Eliphaz was Yaakov's nephew through Esau, his brother. And Eliphaz marries this girl, Timna. And Timna has this son, Amalek. And what happened was, unfortunately, Midrash says one of the big mistakes that we made. The big mistake that Yaakov Abinu and his sons made is Timna wanted to marry into our tribe. And they pushed her away. And she married Esau's tribe. And that's what happened. That's why Amalek, that's the, that's the roots of the hatred of Amalek for the Jews. Is They weren't allowed to be Jewish. They weren't allowed to come in. And they are pushed aside. And we've got to be very careful not to push people aside. Never to push people away. We have to give them opportunities to come in. We have to give people opportunities to come in and not push people away. Anyway, that's the roots of Amalek. What does Amalek do? The first people to attack us. When we came out of Egypt, we crossed the Red Sea. The whole nations of the world were scared. They were terrified. Amalek comes to attack us. Amalek, our own relative, comes to attack us. This deceiving hatred. This uh, hatred for anything to do with Jacob and his, his children, his grandchildren, and Israel. Israel Israel is Jacob. Jacob's other name was Israel. So all the B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, Amalek hates us. He hates us with a seething hatred. He wasn't scared, even though all the nations were scared to attack us. And the words used by the Torah are very symbolic. Asher karcha baderef. They happened on us on the way. They happened to us on the way. The rabbis explain they believe in chance. Everything is chance. They don't believe in destiny or fate or God. There's no God. If there's no God, there's no God-guiding events of history. Everything is chance. The God of Amalek and the God of Haman was lottery, was chance. Evolutionists believe in chance. Everything came about by chance. That is Amalek. That is the theology of Amalek, not Amalek. The theology of Amalek. The theology of Haman was chance. If chance is on your side, everything goes well. If chance is not on your side, then nothing's going to go well. And chance, if you believe in chance, they believe that you believe in chance, chance will do right by you. If you believe in chance, then chance is your God. How do you worship your God? Chance? By believing everything is chance. Very simple. You believe in the God of chance, everything, life is a lottery. Life becomes a lottery. And if you believe in it, that's your God, and everything will go well. Chance will be on your side. We believe the opposite. We believe in the God, the creator. Nothing is by chance. The rabbis say the only thing, the only choices we have in life are free choice of what is good and what is bad, and that's it. Everything is in the hands of heaven, except for the fear of heaven. Everything, nothing is by chance. There's no lottery in life. Who we're born to, who our parents are, where we live, where we're born, at least, that's that's, that's Hashem's hands. What we do with it, with the gifts that God gave us, that is our choice. Our free choice is our lottery. What we do in our lives, what choices we make, that's, that's the chance. That is the chance in God's world. Free choice of human beings, the chance in God's world. So the lottery of God's world is free choice. That is the joker in the pack, right? We're dealt a pack of cards, who you are, where you're born, who your parents are where you're born, how much money you're going to have, how, you know, where you're going to live. But we have the choice to move. We have a choice to grow. We have a choice to make friends. We have a choice which schools we're going to. So up to a certain point, who are you going to mix with, which neighborhoods to live in? That's our free choice. Our free choice governs our future. There's no cop-outs. The person can't say, I never had a choice, Hashem. 
everyone has a choice. We make choices, even sometimes in the worst situations, we all make choices. So it's all these are our choices. That's how we believe. Nothing is by chance. Everything is up to us. God dealt us a hand, and now we've got to make the most. And when we pray to Hashem, we can even change what we have. We can change things by our prayers. We can change things by our deeds. The Gemara says a very strange saying, which is totally, it seems to come out of the blue. En mazal le Israel. There is no such thing as luck for Jews, even though we always wish people mazal to have good luck. Yeah, it's a prayer. But luck doesn't guide us because we're above luck. We can pray for our lucks to change. We can pray for everything to change. We believe in the God of the world that our, our own history is based on the barren forefathers and mothers. Imagine people who can never have children. Hashem takes Abraham outside his mazal. He took him outside. He says, you believe in God. Luck does not affect you. Chance does not affect you anymore. You're above that. There's no mazal anymore. Even though you have an astrological uh, prediction, if you believe in God, it's above that. You're above predictions. You're above mazal. You're above uh, chance. So that's what this festival is all about. It's all about opposites. Whatever we thought, whatever they thought is going to happen, the opposite happens. Whatever our enemies tried to do to us, the opposite happened. That was done to them. That's what Begila says. Now, Fokhu, everything was opposite. They tried to put Mordechai on the tree, and instead Haman was put on the tree. That should happen, not just in the past, but also in the future. And that's what we say in the bracha. That those miracles that happened in those days should also happen in these days. We need them more than ever. In Israel, outside Israel, they're still hunted. The anti-Semites are rearing their ugly heads again. The, the miracles happen in those days should happen again. Everything should be upside down. Whoever hunts for us should be the hunted. Whoever wants to get rid of us, they should be got rid of. Listen, you know, in this small, in my small life, my small life so far, I've seen so many enemies just disappear. You know, Nasser, what says, well, throw the Jews into the sea. Right, six-day war. We'll throw the Jews into the sea. You don't hear of Nasser, he's gone. Yeah? And then you have Saddam Hussein. Yeah, we're going to destroy Tel Aviv. We're going to burn the whole of Israel. Where I saw those images of Saddam Hussein coming out of the hiding place uh, graved in my mind. With his long beard and his, this heavy look is amazing. Uh, and uh, that was amazing. And you know, then you had this... Uh, Ahmadinejad, who we've forgotten about already in Iran. We don't see him anymore, but still the Iranians are still on our case. That's the second miracle of Purim. We want the second miracle of Purim. It's amazing how the same people on the same map, the Iranians, the Persians, they're still there. They want to kill us. Hashem should do the miracle of Purim again. Okay, so let's talk about the slaughtery. Amalek, but happened to us on the way. Everything isn't happening. Life is one big happening. There's no God in control. That was Amalek. That was his philosophy. And that became our nemesis. That became our uh, anti-God, if you want it. The anti-God is Amalek. And anyone who believes in that kind of system, that there's no God in the world, there's no there's no morality, there's no uh, code, there's nothing, God does not know what's going on, there's no God in the world, there's no creator. It's just all luck. That's the, the theology of Amalek. And that's what Esther represented 
That's the name Esther. Hashem says at the end of the Torah, He says, Vanuchi haster astir panai mehem. One of the curses at the end of the Torah is Hashem says, it's a terrible curse. I will hide my face from them. If they worship idols, if my children worship idols, it's the most heinous crime. They don't believe in me. They believe in other gods. I'll hide my face to them. Let them find me now. I'm not going to look for them. Let them find me now. It's like if a child was really disobedient to his father, the father says, I'm washing my hands of you. Now you come back to me. I'm not going to chase after you. You come back to me. And that's been our long, torturous history is since the time of the destruction of the, of the first temple is we have to try and find Hashem in our lives. And we have to come back to God. We have to come back to God by, number one is belief in God. Number two is doing his commandments. Two things we have to do. Belief, which is not just belief. Ramadan says it's knowledge of Hashem. We have to know there's a God. We have to know there's a creator without a shadow of doubt. We have to know that God is watching us. We have to know what God wants from us. God gave us the Torah. We believe in it. And Bezrat Hashem, Hashem will reveal himself. And there's no question about it. Hashem will reveal himself. There will be a final revelation. And we have to get ready for it. We have to get prepared for it. That's what it says. I'm going to send you the prophet saying, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of this great day. What is the purpose of Elijah the prophet? Rabbi Arya Kaplan says a beautiful idea. He says, to teach us how to be prophets. Why? Because the revelation is going to be a prophecy. You know, a human being cannot have revelation without being able to meditate because the revelation is not something you can, it's physical, it's something intangible, it's spiritual. It's on a spiritual level and we have to be on that spiritual level to be able to get it. So Eliyahu and Avi, Elijah the prophet is going to come back, teach us prophecy. It hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for Elijah the prophet to come and teach us to, to obtain revelation, Hashem, will be all be, there'll be a tremendous revelation on that day. On that day, Hashem will be one, not two. What does that mean? Two, when it says Amalek came and they smashed God's name. They split it into two, Yudke, Vavke, and because the Torah says, Kiyad al his hand was on his throne. They put their hand on the throne of God, and the word throne is spelled without an aleph. And God is spelled without a vav hey, it's kiyad al kis instead of kise. Yeah, yudke instead of yudke vav hey. Amalek came and smashed God's presence in the world. What does that mean? Before Amalek came, for a short period of time, everyone recognized there's a God, there's a creator, there's an interfere in this world. Amalek came and showed, uh, you don't have to believe in God, you can attack his people. If you can attack his people, there's no God. Every time Israel is attacked and we lose, it's a chilul Hashem like no other chilul Hashem. It's a desecration of God's name. It's showing that God is not omnipotent. If we're successful, then it shows God is on our side and God is the boss. God is in control. Bezrat Hashem. Hashem will work like six-day war. Miracles through us. Bezrat Hashem. The whole world will recognize as they did. For a short period of time after the six-day war, it was like Tokyo. The Jews... Um, amazing victory it was a miracle it was an acknowledged miracle there's a god in the world it lasted till 73 when the next amalek blew burst the bubble <laughs> burst the bubble <laughs> but you know what we're still suffering from that 73 war but 67 was a miracle the whole world a tremendous amount of body chuba came about after 67 a lot of people moved to israel after 67 
Bezrat Hashem will have more miracles, tremendous miracles, greater than 67, and finally a revelation which no one will be able to ever dispute again. So Esther, Megillah Esther, is Ligalot, it's Esther. Reveal the hidden, right? We are now in a period of hiddenness after the first temple was destroyed. Hashem's presence no more revealed miracles, exception of Hanukkah. Even Purim, there was no revealed miracles. That's it. Purim took place in a natural way over a period of 12 years. Where's God? Everyone's asking, where's God? Where is God? What is God up to? Haman wants to kill us. Where is God? What are we going to do? And the rabbis say in the, in the, in the Talmud tractate Megillah that when Haman got Ahasuerus's ring, when Ahasuerus took off his ring and gave it to Haman, that was the biggest cure for the Jewish problem. What was the Jewish problem? They were far away from God, but when Haman got the ring and had the power to kill all the Jews, they all repented. They all came back to God. We have no recourse. There's nothing to save us from Haman. He has all the power in his hands. It's never been so bleak for the Jewish people to be in one person's hand as it was at that time. With the exception when Jacob lived with Lavan, we say in Haggadah, Arami, Obedavi, and the Jews lived in Egypt, we all under Paro. And that's the most dangerous thing, when we're all in one control, at one person's control, the biggest anti-Semite who can destroy us, that's the biggest danger. You know, thank God today we're all scattered. It's good and it's bad. It's good because if one person wants to kill us, we're scattered all over. Let them try and find us. There's always some Jew in Timbuktu who... <laughs> there's always some Jew in the strangest places around the world uh, who get away. So thank God for that. That's a small mercy, but Bezrat Hashem will all be gathered together. The exiles be gathered together. At the end of time, it's rather shame. We're seeing it's happening slowly. Okay, so Ligalot, Hester, Hester, Panim, Esther, but Torah, Minayin, the Gemara asks, where is Esther mentioned in the Torah? And the answer is this Pasuk in the end of Devarim, Anachi, Hester, Astir, Panay, I will hide my face, Hester, Panim. Because her real name was not, was Hadassah. Her real name was Hadassah. Her Jewish name was Hadassah, and she got this name, this non Jewish name, which shows us how much. Assimilation was taking place in the Persian Empire. Hadassah was known as Esther. Malachi was known as Mordechai, non-Jewish name. Totally non-Jewish name. Marduk, Esther, Ishtar. These are gods. These are strange Persian gods. Ishtar, or the name Star came from there. And Marduk was one of the gods of the Persians. So you see how the Jews were getting assimilated by changing their names into the Persian culture. So Legalot, that's our mission. Legalot, Megillah, Legalot, it's a hester, to reveal the hidden, the hiddenness of the lottery. It's not a lottery. You have to reveal to the world it's not a lottery. It's not chance. We are here not by chance, and Jewish history is the biggest proof that it's not a lottery. The survival of the Jews, as Mark Twain says, what is the secret of their survival? He doesn't answer the question. He leaves off a rhetorical question. What is the secret of the, of the survival of the Jews? And by the way, Mark Twain was no, uh, he was no pro-Jew. He was an anti-Semite at first, then. and then uh, he started. He went to Israel and he saw the situation. Israel's empty, barren land. He writes the accounts that it was barren wasteland, and he never loved Jews. And then he says he realized when you le- learn world history, you'll see the all the Babylonians are gone, the Egyptians are gone, 
the, the old Persians are gone, the Romans are gone, who's left? The Greeks are gone, the Jews are here. What is the secret of Jewish survival? That's his rhetorical question. And that's the answer. The answer is we're above chance. We are gonna be around till the end. Why? Because God is running our destiny. With the help of God, with the grace of God. And uh, so we have to reveal the hidden that the world is not run by chance. So Haman, what is Haman? Where is Haman mentioned the Torah? And the answer is, the Gemara says, amazing idea. Haman is in the verse talking about Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Whatever it was, not the time, not the place to talk about it. And Hashem comes to Adam and he says, Hamin ha'etz hazeh. Did you eat from this tree? And the words he used was, did you eat from this tree? Hamin ha'etz hazeh. Hamin has the same letters Haman. The rabbis connect them. These two events in history, imagine, connecting the eating of the fruit of Adam to Haman Harasha, this evil Haman. What's the connection between Adam and Haman? And the answer is, Adam had everything. Adam had the whole world. Imagine, you own the whole world. You're in paradise. You're, you're in Ganeda, whatever that is, whatever that means. Adam had everything. He had a wife made to measure. Uh, can you imagine wearing a tailor-made suit or a suit off the rack? It's hard to imagine. I mean, I've never had a tailor-made suit, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> but my son, who had a tailor-made suit when he was in Hong Kong, he says you can't compare the two. You can't compare a wife who is made to measure to a wife who you take off the shelf. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't compare a spouse who is made to measure for you. They're both made to measure for each other. It was made, a match made in heaven. Literally a match made in heaven. Hashem made the match. He had everything, he had the whole world paradise. He was not allowed to have one thing. And that was to eat from this fruit of the tree, whatever it was. And he says, he says the famous words, this little line Haman says, he has everything. He tells his wife, he goes back to his family and tells him, brags and boasts. I have everything. I am second in command to the king. The king gave me his ring. I'm even more powerful now, as powerful as the king. I have gold, silver, children. I have everything you could ever imagine. And then he says, Whatever I have is worth nothing. When I think of Mordechai the Jew, who doesn't get up and doesn't bow down to me. In Haman's world, if you have everything except for one thing, it's worthless. You have to have everything. If you have everything and one person does not give you honor, everything you have becomes worthless. And that's the comparison between Haman and Adam. Imagine Adam Rishon had everything, he had paradise. But God withheld one thing from him. He says, everything I have is not worth anything if I can't get that thing. I need that thing. This is psychology number one. What does a child want? Whatever you tell them not have. Don't take this. Oh, that's what I reverse psychology and that is the biggest temptation for a person if god says not to do it maybe i should do it that is the yitzharah and that is haman epitomizes this idea this theology of whatever i don't have everything i have becomes worthless which is wrong completely a person should count their blessings we're trained to make blessings to count our blessings and bless god for what we have we have so much 
every morning we make these blessings. Thank God I have dry land under my feet. Thank God I can walk straight. Thank God I, I can see. Thank all these things we take for granted. We have to bless God. We have to have an attitude of gratitude. And this way a person will not get depressed and say, oh, that one thing I don't have ruined my day. It ruined my life. All I think about is the thing I don't have. But think about what you have. That is the key. To be happy what we have. That's the opposite of Haman. That is the opposite of Adam. That is the test of Adam. That's what we are all here to rectify. To have this attitude of gratitude. And count our blessings every single day. Thank God for what we have. And the cup is half full. Not half empty. Our cups are half full. We always have to look at what we have. And be grateful for what we have. It's rather shame. Not be like Haman. Not be like Adam. Okay. So the Megillah. The Megillah is legalot, to reveal the hidden. What's hidden? There's one very important word missing from the Megillah. The most important word is missing from the Megillah. And that most important word is Hashem's name. Imagine, a holy book. Among the 24 holy books of Tanakh is missing the most important name in the whole book. There's no mention of God. It's the only book of Tanakh where there's not one single mention of God's name. Why? Because the whole purpose of that book is to reveal the hidden. God is hidden in the Megillah. And you have to figure out that these events could not have happened by chance. When you read the Megillah, see the Megillah is a synopsis of 12 years of history. And it sort of puts the main events, it highlights the main events over the 12 years in a sequence that is impossible to think their chance. First, Hashverosh gets rid of Vashti. Then he's looking for a new wife. And he finds this Jewish girl who was hiding from him, who didn't say who, where she came from. And she was married to Mordechai, the rabbi say. And he says to his servants, look for a betula, this, uh, this uh, unmarried woman who's gorgeous and beautiful. The rabbi says she was not pretty at all. Esther was, it says, she had a green face, whatever that means. She, her face was pale. And it was a miracle. She found favor in his eyes, but she wasn't beautiful. Even though there's a list of beautiful women in the world, and one of them was Esther. So <laughs> there's a contradiction in the Gemara. So maybe beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. She was beautiful when it came to Hashirot. She was not beautiful. So interesting that she's trying to hide, and he finds this Jewish girl who's trying to hide from him. And from all the beautiful women he had in his harem, he chooses her to be the queen. That is before the events, the nasty events happen in the Megillah. So already it tells us what happened. Like he got rid of his wife and he marries this new wife. And now she's in place just when the trouble starts. She's in the right place at the right time to help us. Just when the trouble starts. So you've got to put these events together. That, and that's how a person should try and build their lives. Look at the pivotal events in one's life and try and see God's hand in one's life. If you look at the pivotal events in one's life, the person's got to look at pivotal. What are the pivotal, the person's got to think, what are the pivotal events in my life? And think back to one's history, you know, when you're starting to move out of the house. What are the pivotal decisions a person make? And try and find God's hand in one's life. That is the key. And that is in the Megillah. There's no name of God mentioned in the Megillah. We're going to talk about why. But I think it's because, again, it's hiddenness of God. We're trying to reveal. Megillah is there. We're trying to reveal the hidden. And what is hidden? There's nothing more hidden in the history now than God. 
We have to reveal God. So God's name is not mentioned. We have to reveal it. That's our job. So how do we reveal God's name? By making a bracha before and after the Megillah. We're, we're acknowledging the events in the Megillah are God's hands. We're praising God for the miracle before. We're praising God for the miracle after we read the Megillah. The rabbis ask, how come there's no Hallel on Purim? Every other holiday, we sing Hallel. We praise God. One of the answers is, the Megillah is Hallel. The Megillah with no God's name in it is the biggest praise to God. We're showing how these events came about. We don't believe in chance. It must be God's hand. We're proving God's hand in history without mentioning his name. And that is the biggest praise of God you can have. My life is not chance. My life came together it's by a higher authority. These events in history didn't happen by chance. We acknowledge everything happened with God's finger on the button. If God wants to interfere, he can interfere. He doesn't want to interfere, he's not interfering. He's still the master of history. The master of all history is Hashem. One day when we see the whole movie of history of the world, can you imagine? I'd love to see that history. God's movie, history of the world by God. And then we'll understand all the different scenes, even though they're depressing and they're disgusting and whatever we'll see how everything fits in, everything God's world has to fit in. It's a jigsaw puzzle. That we'll only understand when God puts the pieces together. That's what the Megillah is. The Megillah is the jigsaw puzzle of the events, but it's put together in a way that you can recognize God's hand. That's how they proved. And that's one of the reasons why the Megillah itself is Halel. It's considered the biggest praise of God. There's other reasons why there's no Halel on, on Purim. Number one is it was a miracle that happened outside Israel. There's no Hallel on miracles that happen outside Israel. So you'll ask, what about Pesach? It happened outside Israel. Yes, it happened outside Israel, but it was on the way to Israel. They got out of the shrine to go to Israel. The miracle of Shavuot, they get the Torah, to get the Torah to go into Israel. The miracle of Sukkot was they built the, these uh, booths in order to go into Israel. So only miracles which lead to Israel is the Hallel. It's interesting. That's a very interesting point. Miracle, where it doesn't lead you to go to Israel, there's no halal. The rabbis also say another answer is nothing really changed in the world after Purim. We were slaves to, we were under this Achashverosh before Purim, and we were under Achashverosh after Purim. Nothing really changed. We just weren't killed, that's all. But nothing really, the history never changed. The history just stayed status quo. Nothing changed. So there's a lot of different re- reasons why there's no halal on Purim. But I like this reason, the Halel is the Megillah. The Megillah itself is the Halel. we got to find God in the, this book. When we see God at the events, we are making Halel in our lives. And that is one of our missions in life, to reveal Hashem in this world. And we all have responsibility for Jewish continuity. And this is also one of the, this is one of the hardest stories to digest in a Jewish Bible. Why? Because it, it involves the heroine of the story intermarrying. This is, you know, this is one of the toughest things to read. I don't know about you, but, you know, we always read the story of Purim. But every time you, I read the story, I got to feel sorry for this heroine. This lost Jewish girl who was married to Mordechai one time, lost to this barbarian. We have to understand that Ahasuerus is a barbarian. He had a, a harem full of women. We don't know thousands of women. He had a different woman every night. He was gluttonous. He had a lot of parties. Life meant no, nothing to him when Haman asked to kill the Jews. He takes his ring off and he gives it to Haman. He says, 
you can do whatever you want with them. I don't even want any money. I don't need the money. Just take them. He's worse than Haman in a sense. Haman's willing to pay for them. He's willing to give them for free. Jewish life. Life has no meaning for Ashverosh. She's a barbarian. And this poor girl was, was, unfortunately, she sacrificed herself for us. Her continuity is our continuity. We have to realize if a Jew is not keeping the, the continuity of Judaism going, they are really letting Esther down. Poor Esther. She gave up her life for us. And we have to continue living. And that's why, again, that's one of the reasons why, even though this miracle was the miracle of Mordechai, it's called the miracle of Esther. Why? Because Mordechai had continuity. It says in the book of Ezra, when the Jews came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the second temple, one of them was this guy, Mordechai Balashan. He was the treasurer of the second temple. Who was that? That was Mordechai Yehudi. And uh, so he had continuity, where she never had continuity, even though her son was technically a Jew. He wasn't, he was a Jew by name, but not a Jew in action. Why he was the king of Persia, number one, and a Jew, number two. And uh, the Gemara says, when he worried about Jerusalem and the welfare of Israel, then he was a Jew. When he worried about the welfare of the Persian Empire, he was a Persian. And that came first, Persian. His Persian uh, father controlled the, the, his life and his continuity, and Esther was therefore less destitute. What is Esther's tombstone? And the answer is Megillat Esther. It's named after her to keep her memory alive. Thank God we have Megillat Esther. But every time you read Megillat Esther, you have to think about this poor woman, what she went through to keep Jewish destiny alive, to keep the Jews alive. She sacrificed herself. And we're going to see for the mission of keeping Jewish continuity. So we are all, in a sense, we can be puppets in God's hand, even though we have free choice. Hashem, obviously, the Quran says that the kings and princes of the world are puppets in God's hands. They can be puppets in God's hands. Israel, The God of Israel doesn't slumber, doesn't sleep. He worries about us. He looks after us. We're on his mind continually. And he has to be on our minds continually as well. Then it's a two-way street, and we're fine. If there's a two-way street going on, we're fine. And then he'll look after us, and he'll look after all these puppets, as it says in the Begillah, that night a Hashverosh could not sleep. <laughs> How come this king could not sleep? He had all these diversions to keep his mind occupied. He couldn't sleep. It says Hashem woke him up. Did Mordechai the Jew... Did you reward him or not reward him? Maybe there's a plot to kill you and no one's going to tell you because you never rewarded Mordechai for telling you about the plot for Big Tan and Teresh to kill you. These two gods wanted to kill Hashverosh and Mordechai uh, got the word out to Hashverosh that they want to kill you and Hashverosh can't, can't sleep that night. Why can't he sleep? The rabbi said because Hashem wouldn't let him sleep. Hashem is guarding the Jewish people and that started the whole sequence of events leading to the death of Haman and the, the rising of Mordechai to take over the house of Haman. Mordechai becomes, instead of Haman, that is the whole idea of Purim, everything's upside down. This lottery became Hashem and Haman became Mordechai. And in a sense, we have to thank Haman for the Jews doing Teshuvah. And that's why the mitzvah is 
עד לא ידע וברוך המן וברוך מרדכי. I don't like to say this because I don't follow this uh, in terms of being drunk. I don't like getting drunk. R- Ramam says drink and then more than use. usually Actually, the Ramam. The Ramam, well, Moshe Isolis, the Ashkenazi opinion is to drink a little more than usual and go to sleep. A person drinks a little more than usual and goes to sleep. When they're, when they're sleeping, they're out of consciousness. For, as far as they're concerned, there's no difference between Baruch Mordechai and Baruch Haman. Why? We have to thank Haman in a sense because there's an evil decree the Jews did to Shuvah. We're still here. We did Teshuvah. We came back to God. So it's unfortunate sometimes we have to thank our enemies for making Jewish unity come true. This is also true in Israel, unfortunately. Sometimes the enmities of our enemies bring us back the Jews to get together and be united. Uh, you know, Sometimes the enmity of the, of the non-Jews brings us back and says, God, help us, save us. We believe in you, Hashem, save us. You are our king. Save us. So when a man's or a woman is in trouble, what do you do? There's no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists in the foxholes. We have to pray really hard. And we have to realize that Hashem protects us. The first time it says the word Yehudi. The word Jew, which uh, unfortunately is not a good translation, is Judah. Yehudi is a Judahite, uh, the children of Judah. And it became Jew, short for Judah. And Jew became a dirty word in the Oxford Dictionary. Jew someone down, you know, to beat someone down in price. Unfortunately, it became a terrible name, the Jew, but it's not Jew. It's Judah. It's Judah. The Judaism. It's called Judaism. And that's a very important. Why Judah? Why Judah? Why are we call that to Judah? Because mostly we're descendants of Judah, the only surviving tribe. And Benjamin. And Benjamin became part of Judah. As we see in the Megillah. That Mordechai was from Benjamin, but he's called Mordechai HaYehudi. He's called the Judahite. Why? Because the majority of Jews were Judahites. They came from the, the, the province of Judah. They came from, in the second temple, it wasn't known as Israel. It was known as Judah. And when the ten tribes were taken away, that was the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah because it was mainly the tribe of Judah. So he was known, even though he's from Benjamin, he's known as a Judahite. Yehudi. Why a Yehudi? Yehuda. Leah called her, 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 her fourth son Judah. She called her fourth son Yehuda. It comes from two words, Lehodot, to thank you, Hashem. And number two is Modim. Okay, to admit to you and to thank you, Hashem. Now I have more children than anyone else. I got my fair share and more. There are four wives with 12 tribes. Each one should get three. I have four sons and I have more than anyone else. I thank you, Hashem. I have more than my fair share. Thank you, Hashem. So Jews, the root of the word Jew is thanks. Thanks and admit. Judah admitted his crimes to Tamar and he was known as Judah. The thanker and the admitter, and he became the role model for the kings of Judah. He was the source of all the kings of Judah and the tribe of Judah. And us, we are descendants of Judah. Most of us. So that's the name Judah. Yehudi is used the first time. The word Jew, Yehudi, is used the first time in the Megillah, referring to Mordecai, who was a Benjamite, to tell us that today all Jews are known as Yehudim. We are known as Yehudim. Okay. So, we have to reveal the hidden we talked about the different names in the Megillah. 
It's a very strange name. Mordechai is a very strange name. Where is Mordechai mentioned in the Torah? And here we come to Parsha Kitasa. We're going to read. We read last week, last Shabbat, very interesting. It has the 12, the 11 spices of the of the incense. In the temple, the incense was a very, very important fundamental of the service every, on a daily basis. There was incense offered in the morning, incense offered in the afternoon. Twice a day, there was incense offered beautiful smell. It said uh, the, the smell of the incense was all over Jerusalem. You could smell it from far away. And the incense was offered in the temple. It was burnt in a censer. And uh, the, these, these leaven spices were mixed. We don't even know the formula. You're not allowed to make it today. And the exact formula, you're not allowed to copy what they did in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, only in the next temple, Beit HaMikdash, will be able to smell this gorgeous smell of the incense. And one of the spices is Mordror. Mordror in Aramaic is Moradachya. The Gemara says is Mordechai. Mordechai is one of the spices. What does it mean? Spices. He's the one who kept the fragrance of Judaism going. Judaism is like the fragrance of the world. We have to we have to give the smell, the perfume of ethics and morality into the world. Mordechai was one of the perfumes in the incense, and he has to, his job was to continue this perfume in the world of, of morality and ethics, but Radashem will be successful of spreading the perfume of morality, ethical monotheism into the world. So now, wine. What's the idea of drinking wine? And and the idea is when a person drinks wine, everything's upside down. And we know this world is upside down. Olam Hafukhrai, it says one of the great rabbis had a son, the Gemara says, and the son got into a, son, a kind of coma. When he woke up, his father said, Daddy, he said, what did, what did you see, my son? And he said, Daddy, I said, I saw a world, Olam Hafukhrai, I saw a world upside down. What does that mean? He said, the people down here who are so great over there are nothings. And the people down here who are so low are so great in the next world. Everything is upside down. In other words, God's way of measuring is not our way of measuring. We measure according to a person's wealth, according to a person's honor. God's way of measuring is the opposite. He has his own way of measuring things. We don't know who's righteous in this world until we go to God's world and see who's righteous. Either that we measure according to the Torah values, then we can measure. But even then, we don't know. We don't know what a person is up to in their secret room. We don't know what a person is up to hidden. It looks like he's a great person. Who knows what he's up to? We don't know. Even the person himself does not know what they're like until the day of their death. It says a person should not trust themselves until the day of one's death, because even then, a person might change, and, and who knows what they're going to choose, what to do at the end. We don't know. And there's a great story with the Arizal. Says one of his students of the Arizal, a great Kabbalist, was dying. And he's saying the Shema. The Jew, before he dies, is going to say Shema. And they, they asked him, the other students around his bed, is the Yetzirah dead? Is your Yetzirah, your evil inclination, dead or not? He said, my Yetzirah is very much alive. He's telling me to show off by shouting the Shema before I die, so everyone will think I'm a big tzaddik. You know, it's showing off even by doing a mitzvah. Showing off in a mitzvah is also the Yetzirah. Because it shouldn't show off when doing a mitzvah. Some it's what you got to do in public, but don't show off. Try not to show off. And show, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm such a great person. I person should try and be simple when they do mitzvah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.